everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Bloop Single Podcast. Joined always is Ryan. He's going to join us right here in a moment. So happy that baseball is back. We finally get actual games, joys, and disappointments to talk to, and we're going to go through it in this episode. First, we're going to start with some league changes because, boom, another surprise right before the start of the season. Ryan's going to go over some different options that MLB has decided to, to spice things up. After that, we had a game yesterday. We faced the, the Dimebacks faced the Padres, and so we're going to talk about our opening day, uh, some of the theatrics, and also some about the team and the sport. Then we're going to look ahead. We've got the, the Texas Rangers and the Dodgers on the horizons after this four-game stint with the Padres. Ryan, welcome back. How you doing, man? Hey, Rob. Uh, happy to be having some regular season baseball. These games count, although I guess after last night, maybe we wish last night was still an exhibition game because there still seems to be some kinks to work out in the Diamondbacks uh, lineup. But, you know, it's nice to sit down and turn on the television, find some Diamondback baseball, and, you know, knowing that these games count. Uh, I had another friend of mine the other day last uh, asked me how the Diamondbacks are going to do this season and whether you know we're going to compete and i think that this is the, you know the past is in the past but i think that this is the first year of what i think is a six game six season window for the diamondbacks competition wise when you look at our minor league systems and the team that mike hazen has put together so excited to really see what this team can do get us off on a good start and see if this can be the start of some really good uh baseball for the arizona diamondbacks and it's really good to hear that you are the foremost authority of Dimebacks Baseball in Nashville. It's what you've always wanted. You've earned it, so congratulations. And you hit on one thing. We are ready to compete, and part of that is a new league change where pretty much everyone's going to get a participation trophy and end up in the playoffs. So all you have to do is not stink, and you got a fighting chance. Walk me through this new NBA, NHL style of playoff. Yeah, everybody makes the playoffs. You get a playoff spot. You get a playoff spot. Uh, it's just it's it's a criticism that the NBA has faced for years. Thirty teams play eighty-two games, and sixteen teams make the playoffs. Uh, more than half the league makes the playoffs. And this season, baseball's trying that out. Eight teams make the playoffs. Three from each division, and then two wild card teams. With the first round being a best of three or best i can't remember if it's a best of three or a best of five series but an extended series no single game wild card playoffs it's a it's a full full tournament uh postseason tournament for the mlb playoffs this season and we'll definitely get into whether it's a three game series or a five game series when the dimebacks are in it you know when we hit the playoffs later down the road yeah that will concern ourselves with that then but you know i think it'll be interesting to see and I'm just going to take a ch uh, few moments here and go over the uh, projected standings for the for baseball this year about the teams that are going to make the uh, expanded playoffs. And, you know, this was something that the players wanted, that this is something that the owners wanted. The owners have allocated for another $15 million in player compensation to pool for this expanded playoffs. So there was some give and take in order to get it. But I do think... This is, you know, we're going to see if this is something that's going to stick around or if this is a COVID-only type of consideration. Maybe it's leading to something, some more expansion down the road. But looking at uh, 
the teams that are expected to make the playoffs in the AL East, you're probably going to have the uh, Yankees definitely making it. Who've been kicking butt, even in their exhibition games. Right. Over there, it's going to come down to probably the Tampa Bay Rays or the Boston Red Sox. The Toronto Blue Jays and Orioles are probably still not sniffing the playoffs in that um, scenario. Twins and Indians looking in the AL Central and the Astros and the Athletics in the AL plus two wildcard teams. But really quickly, more and more importantly, turning our attention to the National League, you know, from the Diamondbacks' perspective, we were already going to be fighting for the wild card according to most projection systems um particularly fighting for it with the san diego padres as most everybody thinks dodgers are going to run away with the division in a 60 game season just as they were in a 162 game season but now you think going through the nl east okay you've got the braves you've got the nationals you've got the mets all pretty good teams two of them are going to make the playoffs in the NL Central, you got maybe the Cincinnati Reds will be a surprise, the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Cardinals are all really good teams. And then in the West, you've got the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Diamondbacks all looking to be above 500 teams. There's just going to be a lot of teams. Even though there's more playoff positions available in the National League, there are going to be a lot of teams still competing for those eight playoff spots. So it doesn't – I think it's going to help the Diamondback chances, obviously – because if they do finish second to the Dodgers now, they're in. But there's just so many teams that are going to be competing for those spots, especially in the 60-game sprint. Yeah, and closer to the deadline, we'll talk about how that's going to change, um, especially with so many teams going to be in it. Typically, with that addition of the second wild card, we always thought more people would be trading, more teams would be trading, thinking, oh, we're one piece away from that second wild card spot. If we trade for a pitcher, he pitches in that, we get in the playoffs, and who knows. Um, I don't think you're going to see much trading this year anyways, but if that many teams potentially could get into the playoffs, I think you're going to see people, or teams, I'd rather, um, ride with the team that they brought into the season and maybe not give away a lot of assets in order to bring in one one player um here's a question because typically we're going back to the nba and, and who knows maybe the nhl uh experiences the same thing but for years the the nba eastern conference has been terrible and oftentimes a sub 500 team gets into the playoffs so this year given that even the diamondbacks who are expected to compete for a wild card was really only projected for what 31 wins which means they went 31 and 29 this year do you expect a sub-500 team to make the playoff? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you think, if you think statistically half the teams are going to be above 500 and half the teams are going to be below 500, that would leave us with 7-7. Seven and seven. Eight makes it. There, I mean, there's probably a good chance that one will be 500 or below, particularly in a 60-game season. I'm worried about multiple. I mean, it's crazy to me that a team that is very clearly head and shoulders above the rest, unfortunately, the LA Dodgers, is only predicted to make to win 37 games. Now, both of us have voted the over, but if you think about it, that's only six games better than the projection for the Diamondbacks, who's who's that close to 500. I mean, the prediction is like everyone's getting bunched up, sure, but I would expect multiple teams in that 25 to 29 win eking by and congratulations you get to face the Dodgers first round but we've seen better than any other league that if you have two, three maybe a fourth really good pitcher in the playoffs you can run away with it regardless of your seed right 
Right. Any final thoughts on that before we move on? Because there's no. another change uh, coming no. on this whole league before we can get to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, no, I think that's really there's not much else to say. There's going to be – it'll be interesting to watch. If the Diamondbacks can get out to a hot start, uh, the first game of the season notwithstanding, then that'll really set them up, particularly given this expanded playoff role. So I still think that's what the Diamondbacks have to be looking to do. You mentioned that um, the players wanted this as well, but – is the expanded playoffs there to build revenue for the owners, TV revenue, anything like that? There'll be no fans in the stands, but there has to be a reason they're going to expand. There will probably be no fans in the stands. But yes, uh, there will be ex- probably expanded television revenue, maybe 250 to $300 million to be, is expected. And the players agree to this because they are going to get paid more over the course of the season because of it as well. Um, okay. And the owners had to agree to share that pot with the players one thing that we had talked about in our last podcast was this evolution with a shortened season um a quick season an expanded roster all of a sudden instead of 25 or what was going to be 26 players we've got 30 on our roster that that Tori Lovello can deploy in any given game talk to me though because we're very quickly going to be um cutting a couple players off our 30-man roster as the whole league every team trims it down to 28 before going to 26. So talk to me about those bubble players um, who potentially could get sent down. I think that your four bubble or bonus players right now are the ta- the pitching Taylors, Taylor Clark and Taylor Wiener. Who combined to embarrass us in our exhibition game earlier <laughs> this week. Right. And then Kevin Crone and Josh Rojas were probably going to be on the outside looking in, in part because of their ability to be sent back and forth to the minors due to them still having options. Um, Kevin Crone in particular, you know, he's got nothing left to show at AAA, so there's no reason for him to not be at the major league level. But with the expanded DH rules, he's going to get a chance to DH against some tough left-handed pitchers and see if he can put a couple uh, balls into the stands for the ushers to go get them. It's those cardboard. If if you <laughs> get your cardboard face hit by a, a home run ball, I think you get that ball. <laughs> I'm I'm interested to see whose job it is to go pick up all the foul balls in these stadiums after every game and what they're going to end up doing with them. It won't but, happen, but I wish Mike Hazen was the one running around. <laughs> well, I, I imagine what it will be is they'll slap a sticker on it and sell them as game-used foul balls from 2020. Maybe you can buy a, a set of a dozen for like 20 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> So you mentioned Crone, and that was a surprise to me of those four, because you're right, he does seem game ready, and with the with the addition of the designated hitter, it just felt like there was a place for him on this team. And yet, we'll get to opening day in a moment, but he was he was not in the starting roster as DH, first base, or anything. So you may you may be onto something there, and that we just have ultimately too many duplicates at certain positions so this is why i want to bring in names almost as direct competition you say duplicates i say good depth here's my point there's two positions at which we have a lot of depth one is the outfield including right now we have five outfielders and um five true outfielders five true outfielders but then two two infielders in kettle Marte and Really, Josh Rojas with position flexibility that could play the outfield. And How come John Jay Jemison, is not on this bubble? 
you're missing Ildemar of Argus as well. He's and Ildemar of Argus. I mean, we've got so many players who, whether it's through just pure youth or pure athleticism, can play in the outfield. So I know this has been a fan favorite in the past and a fan favorite of mine, but it's really hard to justify a John Jay who is probably the at this point of his career the third best center fielder um, on the roster. And then separately, Alex Young. I mean, you t- you have one of the Taylors, Taylor Clark going down but frankly he has a more lively arm than in alex young and actually had more experience last year overall um at the major league level than alex young yeah i think alex young maybe has a better bullpen arm going forward so as long as we keep our starting rotation intact alex young probably fits on this team better than a taylor clark does and also, even in the starting rotation perspective, Alex Young had more success in the starting rotation last season than Taylor Clark. And I think that's going to speak for itself. Uh, ultimately, all the skill and all the talent and all the stuff, raw ability in the world doesn't mean anything if you can't perform. So performance and uh, results are going to speak pretty loudly, I think, when it comes time to cut down to 28 and 26 players. Um, particularly on the pitching side, where pitching is going to matter so much. I think as far as John Jay goes, John Jay is a favorite of Tori Lovellos. You talk about David Peralta being the heart and soul of this team, Kittle Marte and Eduardo Escobar becoming leaders. Um, you can't underestimate the value, though, of having a true veteran on the team, especially a team that is as young and is going to be as young as the Diamondbacks are and only going to get younger as our minor league, um, top minor league talent makes its way up to the majors in the form of Alec Thomas and Dalton Varsho. As good as David Peralta is, it's nice to have that veteran John Jay as your fifth outfielder who maybe isn't playing every day, but can come off and give a professional pinch hit, um, particularly in the National League, and can just be that leader. I mean, how often does your 25th, 26th person really play a game? A lot of times I'd rather have that veteran leadership, even if it's a redundant position. Well, that's an interesting point about which players are going to go down, which players are going to get cut, because you know what happened, Ryan? Players actually did a thing last night, and it's our opening day against the Padres. We have a few insights. We're not going to get crazy with what it means for the rest of the season, but we have noticed a couple of trends um, since that you know we've had the exhibition games against the Dodgers. Talk to me about the first uh, trend that you noticed with the Diamondbacks moving forward. The first trend I noticed was overall good pitching from Madison Bumgarner. Oh, yeah. It's nice to have a solid veteran pitcher fronting our rotation. I think we got used to seeing that with Zach Greinke. Uh, Madison Bumgarner might not have the fire to his fastball that he's had, but he still is a crafty lefty. He still knows how to get guys out. And for the most part, he pitched well last night and i think he would have pitched even better if the umpire empiring had been a little bit more consistent which i'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit for the most part having madison bumgarner out there i think he's going to help the rotation i think he knows pitching and he's a competitor i think that's only going to help our young pitching staff well hold on because i i appreciate the the um honor of Bumgarner, but I was wondering what you thought about our offense. Well, you said my first impression. The first thing I got was, hey, here's Bumgarner pitching four or five really great innings. Hint, hint, the batters. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, the offense was lacking in, you know, this is now three games if you include those two exhibitions where our offense just hasn't come. And you've had players here and there get some hits. I mean, Cole Calhoun with that home run, really, like, it's nice to see a hard-hit ball like that. Um, Kettle Marte had some good at-bats, had the early hit. You know, it's just it's putting things together. And you mentioned the double plays. These were the same things that the that plagued us last year, I felt like. The inability to move runners along, to hit into double plays, to just stay out of trouble. And it's one thing to not get a hit, not drive somebody in. It's another thing to, you know, sabotage an inning. So runners on the corners, you hit into a double play, that's the one thing you can't do. Strike out, put the ball in the air. Do something other than hit the ball weakly on the ground to the out to the infielders. And I'm particularly because and let me sorry, one more point. Particularly because Chris Paddock, you can say we had him on the ropes. I've never really thought of Chris Paddock as a ground ball pitcher, more of a strikeout fly ball type pitcher. So those fly balls, those sack flies that with the runner on one out and a runner on third base, that's what you should be able to get against Chris Paddock because it's gonna be hard to get runs against him over the course of the game. Quick moment. I think you're hitting your desk with your finger when you're making your point. Of course I'm hitting my desk with my finger when I'm making my point. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, the, the mic's definitely letting us know. Um, so, interesting. Last time we had a podcast, we brought up this concept. It's not a new concept. In fact, it had been working for baseball teams for 60 years. This idea is small ball. And whether you, you fully subscribe to launch angle and looking for the crooked number, so to speak, that anywhere you get a, a three-run bomb and boom, you're ahead. Or if you're going to play small ball and, and manufacture one run an inning, you know, and get half the innings, boom, you got four or five runs in a game. It, it feels like we're just caught in the middle and we don't really have a plan at the plate. Yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't look like we have a plan to play. It doesn't look like we're going up there and saying we're going to take the, we're going to take the first pitch. We're going to make the pitcher work for it. I mean, there was one inning where, David Peralta just went up to the plate and kind of showed bunt and pulled back and clearly was taking a pitch, the first the first pitch. And I guess that's fine, but I don't know. I mean, just that whole show bunt to pull back to take a pitch, I, it seems a little odd to me for a player like David Peralta, particularly because that pitch ended up being an 88-mile-an-hour like fastball or changeup down the middle of the plate. Seems like something that maybe if he was in state in hitters mode, he could have identified as maybe something he didn't want to take, and then jumped on it. I don't know. I'm not a major league hitter, but it doesn't look like our offense are major league hitters. On that particular play specifically, can you remember if the shift was on for him? Because my thought is like we talked about these professional baseball hitters of like, hey, if they do the shift, show bunt or like pretend like you're going to hit it down the opposite line and beat the shift. And that almost gives you an idea of like, if, if Peralta is doing that, certainly no one can catch the ball that goes 15 uh, seats back into the outfield. But if he's trying to bunt and trying to get them to get off the shift at the major league level, you're all scouted too much for that. This isn't high school. You're not going to trick a third baseman into running in when you're, when you've never laid a bunt in your life. I just don't think that, like faking it, faking the bunt doesn't work at the major league level. If he lays a bunt down, we have a totally different discussion, but you're right. We're not overreacting over one game. Um, the 19th and 20th, I know they're exhibition games. Most people probably didn't even watch them because it's not the real season yet, 
who cares that we got blown out by 13? We, we put in some pitchers that weren't going to be our day one starter, but the fact that we could only scrape in three runs in 18 innings of baseball is baloney to me. You're right, Rob, and that's overreacting over three games. I mean, it is baseball. These are still small sample sizes, plenty of time to turn it around. Uh, this is not just a regular game at the end of July. This is the game one of regular season. We would never overreact when we're just 0-1. Uh, there is a, maybe a lot more at stake. Some people compare every one game to three games as far as the season goes. but And it was a loss to the San Diego Padres, who are our closest competitors in the division They're right always now. baby brother. Yeah, for that second position for the wild card. So maybe it is a little bit of overreacting, but we've been, we've been without baseball for a couple of months, so it's okay to overreact a little bit to one game, especially when you do... I think it just shows how much we care about this team and how much we do think this team can compete and, and do like the talent on this team. This is a good lineup team that should be able to put up some runs against a when a when a pitcher Chris Paddock's a good pitcher, but he's but he struggled early on when we let him get comfortable, and that's the same thing that we did last year that got that does get fans frustrated. You get runners to third base, you can't get them in. You get a ba- runners on the base, you hit into double plays. You just don't close out innings. And you don't need to put up a crooked number every time. You don't need those two, you know, you get there, Jake Lamb, that third inning, led off with a double. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do anything. We just kept trying to hit more doubles, trying to hit more home runs. Maybe if you get a leadoff double, you do start playing some small ball to try and get that one run in. I don't know. I'm not a... a it, yeah, that part was frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating to just see that many zeros up on the board. Um, and then so then you look back. And, and if we had played small ball and not got him in, um, you're talking about that leadoff double from Lamb, maybe we're arguing the other way. But all I, all I got to do is watch the game and interpret what I see. And what I see is this launch angle, if you have the players, and I hate to keep bringing up the Dodgers because, like, forget them. But any one through eight, can hit a home run at any time. I don't. We don't have that type of lineup. Um, Escobar is a great hitter. He's going to hit over 300. I can almost guarantee it. But he's not going to hit 35 bombs. It's just not the player he is. And you can go up and down. Nick Ahmed's the same way. We got to play a different style of baseball. We cannot win playing Dodgers baseball against the Dodgers or, well, frankly, game one against the, the the Padres. So one last thing that I want to talk about the opening day game and talking about Madison Bumgarner. Maybe we're talking about something differently if in that last inning where Bumgarner gave up the gave up the runs. I do just want to say that Jerickson Profar walk, I know you had your problems with the umpire's strike zone. You want to see robo-umpires because you want to see a consistent strike zone and you want to see it by the letter of the rule book from, you know. The letters to the bottom kneecaps. Um, right. Knees to, knees to pits. And... Well, maybe not. I'm that. okay with the, I'm okay with the, uh, the human element of baseball. I like the human umpires, and that both the hitter and the pitcher, you know, the umpire sets the strike zone, and they both have to, to respond to that strike zone. What I saw in that game was, throughout most of the game, the pitcher, the umpire had a had a wide strike zone. The outsides of the plate were in were were strikes. He was calling that the whole game. Two strikes on Jerickson Profar. Bumgarner hits that pitch. Same thing as being getting called strike the whole game on. Called a ball. Continues the at-bat. Profar fouls off a couple things and ends up walking. And yeah, I, do, I don't 
question Tori Lavelle leaving Madison Bumgarner in to pitch to Eric Hosmer, who before this game had zero hits against him. But, you know, maybe you take him out before that. But the inning should have been over. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to leave the rest to, to history on that one because you're right. There's a lot of second-guessing there. And I think in another space we can talk about how to utilize the bullpen now that we have a DH. Um, anyways, yeah, I think Chafin would have been great in there too. All right, Rob, you want to talk briefly about what's coming up next? Let's look ahead. So we've got one game tonight that I don't think we're going to get the podcast out in time, so I don't want to count it. After that, uh, we've got two more against the Padres, two against Texas, and then four against L.A. What do you predict as far as either a record or just what you expect to see out of the Diamondbacks in those, what, six games, eight games? Eight games. Yeah, well, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see the Rangers' new ballpark, how that looks on TV, but I just want to be competitive. I do too. I'm not going to talk records. I'm not going to talk records yet. Not in this first week. We got to see what this team is. Do you have any fear that if we don't win a few games against San Diego and Texas, that the season could look pretty rough after a four game stint with the Dodgers? Yes. That's why I don't want to make predictions because we have to get off to a decent start. All right. Not telling you about my 0 and 8 prediction. <laughs> no, it wasn't going to be that bad, but that's tough. Yeah. You've got to. You can't just scratch, you know, splits against the Padres in Texas. I, I don't know that Texas is predicted to like be one of the top teams, but if you're just going to split the series with San Diego and Texas, I don't I don't think we're going to split a series with the Dodgers too often. And if you if you have that week of record going in and could potentially go 1 and 3 or 0 and 4 against the Dodgers, I mean, we talk about how this shortened season every game kind of counts as a three-game series. If you go two and nine to start the season that's 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 a tough outlook regardless of who you play next it is exactly i do expect um and i know he got off to a hot start and only played half the game but i like what i see from jake lane we talked about his double already i'm excited to see what he does moving forward yeah i think we'll have a lot more to talk about next week and have a real we'll either be singing the praises or dreading the rest of the season Oof. Singing the praises it is. All right, we both agreed, Ryan and Rob, we put our votes down for singing the praises, so Dimebacks, got to deliver. For everyone, you can follow on Instagram at BloopSingle, on Twitter at BloopSingleAZ. Go ahead and like us on wherever you get your podcasts or iTunes. Go ahead, if you do have a more thoughtful response, you don't think you can get across on any of those platforms, we do have BloopSingle at BloopSingleAZ at gmail.com. Man, I was almost four for four tough look and rob's per- and rob's personal phone number is <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you need to reach ryan on his work phone during office hours all right, all right man hey it's been a good podcast welcome back yes. play ball